Now, if you weren't with us last week, we started the book of Job. And as we started the book of Job, um, first two chapters give the background of what we're going through. If you weren't with us, I highly encourage you to get a copy of the CD, listen to it online, because it really sets the scene. Because what you see here in Job chapter 1 and 2, you see everything that Job goes through. Losing his kids, losing his possessions, losing everything, losing his, his health. But the Bible makes it abundantly clear that Job at this point, if you look in verse 10 of chapter 2, and all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Look at chapter 22 of Job 1, and all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And we left off last week with Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They came, they cared, and for one week they all sat there in just complete silence. If you've ever been around a loved one that's going through a difficult time, sometimes they don't need words. They just need a presence of someone being there. I mentioned last week there's many times out here that we've had to go to situations of you know, someone passing, and sometimes they just need someone there. And you're just there to be available, just to show the love of Christ. So for seven days they sit there in this silence. They don't know what to say. And finally what we have here is Job begins to speak in Job chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May the day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day. Those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light, but have none. And not see the dawning of the day, because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my mom's eyes. Note, Job does not curse God. He curses the day he was born. Now, let's just be honest. Have you ever had a day where you just wish you weren't alive? You just wish you weren't alive. You just don't want to be here anymore. Let's just go to bed and not wake up tomorrow. You know, let's just be done with this place. Maybe it's physical pain. Maybe it's emotional pain. Maybe it's spiritual pain. Maybe it's the heartache of the loss of a loved one. And you're just ready to be done. You know, I I firmly believe I've done a lot of counseling in the years I've been out here. Everybody at one time or another struggles with those thoughts. Sometimes those thoughts get a little more firm, a little more suicidal. But a lot of times there's people, I just don't want to be on this earth anymore. I'm just ready to be done. Curse the day I was born. And if that's, you've ever thought that, you've joined a very great group of people. Job thought that. Listen to Moses in Numbers 11. Everybody in Numbers 11, what it was is the Israelites wanted meat. Millions of people wanted meat. Here they are complaining again. This is Moses. Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now if I have found favor in your sight. Do not let them see my wretchedness. That's Moses praying to God, saying, Just kill me. What about Jonah? Jonah. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished for death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Elijah, argumentably the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. A lot of people believe he could be one of the two witnesses in Revelation. He was the man that appeared at the transfiguration with Jesus. This is the big wig. 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough, now Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Solomon sums it up very nicely in Ecclesiastes. Therefore, I hated life. Wow. So Job wants to die. Moses wanted to die. Jonah wanted to die. Elijah wanted to die. And Solomon's great discourse on life is, I hate life. Amen. You know, great Wednesday night here. Um, this is the reality. This is the reality of life. Life is difficult. You know, I, I know people out here, every day they wake up in intense, awful physical pain. And they don't even know if they're going to be able to get out of bed. I know people that have lost a loved one and that, that hole that is left. Oh, man. Every day is a day of sadness. I know people struggling mentally. People struggling spiritually, people struggling physically. And a lot of times these people will call and in the quietness and the confidentiality will say, you know, James, I just don't want to live anymore. I'm just, I mean, because it's just death, it's over. It's over. I mean, isn't this interesting? Our goal as believers, after we accept Christ as our Savior, our goal is heaven. Where there's no pain, no death, no nothing. And that's the goal. But God says, yeah, but by the way, I'm not going to tell you when you're going to get there. That's like me getting all my boys in a car and say, boys, I'm going to take you to the most amazing place in the world. You cannot imagine how amazing this is. Where is it at, Dad? Oh, this is great. Whatever you want to do, you can do. You can have the most. Oh, this is great. We're going. Yeah, we're going. We're going right now. We get in the car. How much longer? Not telling you. How much longer? Not telling you. We just drive for days and weeks, months. Years, decades. That's why it's faith. But what happens in the midst of darkness where faith begins to falter? And you say, I just don't want to live anymore. Verse 11. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Why the breasts that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest. If I would just die, I'd be at rest. It'd be all over. Verse 14, with the kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves. I could be dead just like the people of old. Verse 15, or with the princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like the infants who never saw light? Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, better to be a stillborn child than to be born. Verse 17, there the wicked cease from troubling. And there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Death just, it sounds good. It's over. It's done. I never have to hurt again. I never have to struggle again. I never have to sin again. Man, I've, I've talked to people over the years that are just, they loved Christ so much, and they're struggling so much in sin. They're just like, why can't I just be done? I mean, if I, if I would just die, the struggle would be over. I wouldn't be letting down my Savior anymore. I wouldn't be, and it's just you convince yourself. It, it would be just better. And then you convince yourself it would be better for everybody else. Because the well, only thing I do is I just bring people down. I mean, yeah, people would love me, people would miss me, but it would really just be best for everybody. Lord, just be done. Let's just take me now. Just like a Moses, Jonah, Elijah, Job, Solomon. Verse 20. Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul? Lord, why, why do you give me life? Why do you give me light if my life is just going to be a life of misery and bitterness? 
I've had people call me up over the years and say, this is God's best for me right now. You know, in all things, God works for the good, and this is the good. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give me life and give me life more abundantly. This life right here, right now, this spiritual, mental, physical pain is what God wants for me. Why does he want my life to be, verse 20, misery and bitterness? Verse 21, who long for death, but it does not come, and search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is it light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat. Some translations say I can't eat because I'm constantly sighing. You ever met somebody who's in so much pain they can't eat? Verse 24, And my groanings pour out like water, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Now, verse 26 is not a refrigerator verse. Please, I do not want to come over to your house and say, James, I got Job 3.26. But to be quite honest, some of you right now are in Job 3.26. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. This is just honesty. And this is one of the things I appreciate about the Bible. The Bible presents the good, the bad, and the ugly of man. If you go read Ecclesiastes, you're not really reading theological truth. It is God's word. God has allowed it to be in there. You're reading what man thinks in a depressed, discouraged state. When you read Job 3, what you're reading is what man thinks when everything is completely, utterly falling apart. I love the honesty of Job 3. Now what happens in Job 4 is now we start getting into this debate that's going to go on for 35 chapters. 35 chapters. This is a group of guys getting together, analyzing everything from every angle, and coming up with solutions. Finally, in Job 38, God steps in and says, I have enough. I'm tired of listening to man's wisdom. On what's going on. Let me ask a few questions. Remember, and I will say this probably every week we go through our study in Job. Job does not know chapters 1 and 2. He does not know what is going on in the heavenly scene. He does not know that God has allowed this, allowed Satan to come in and do these things. Job has no knowledge of this. If we did not know that, that would change how we look at Job. We know what's going on behind the scenes. We know how it ends. Job doesn't. And Job is living it right now. Now, I told you last week when we go through Job, we're going to do this a little bit differently than what we normally do in some Wednesday night states because this is such a deep book. And we could just sit here and talk about how awful everything is. And as I was going through Job chapter 3, I thought, you know what? I can get up here and talk about what's it like when your world is falling apart. I thought, you know what? I want someone to come up and share what it was like when their world was falling apart. And what I want to do here for the rest of Wednesday night is use this passage and just get a chance to talk a little bit. And Jody, if you want to come on up. You guys know Jody Hathaway. You got your mic on? Jody and I are going to have a little chat in front of you guys. Good evening, Jody. It's on. Now, if you don't know this, the way I do things when I come to having people share, I don't like giving them forewarning. So I texted you 
at like 3 o'clock this afternoon, I emailed you. And I just simply said, are you coming to church tonight? And what was your response? Uh-oh, am I in trouble? Yeah, uh-oh, am I in trouble? <laughs> and I said, no. August of 2012, right? 2011. 2011. You went in for a routine procedure. I was supposed to have a laparoscopic hysterectomy, which is they cut two little slits. It's a very simple procedure. You stay overnight just as a precaution, and then you come home, and you're off work six weeks. And for the first two weeks, you feel you know a little bit lousy, but then the rest of the time, you're just off recuperating, and then you're normal again. So six weeks, and how many days did you spend in intensive care? I was on a ventilator for nine days, and I was in intensive care for about six weeks. So your six weeks of recovery at home was actually in intensive care, ventilator for nine days. Um, if you remember correctly, last week I told the story of going and visiting somebody in the hospital, and as I walked into the room, not being able to know who they were. That was you. I don't know if I ever told you that. I showed up, and they told me what room you were in. This was over at BG. I probably shouldn't say that. Sorry. Scratch that. <laughs> scratch that it was in a different country and i went in and i got the room number where you're in and i walked in and you were uh, i don't know how to you, you were wrapped in swaddling clothes for lack of a better word i didn't even recognize you and i actually went out and got the nurse and said um you know making sure that this was was jody there so on the vent for nine days Six weeks, then in intensive care. Thank you, Brock. And then when you got home, everything was perfect, right? Yeah. So there were complications with my surgery, and they cut an artery in my leg. Or they cut an artery. I didn't say they cut an artery. Something happened with the artery. According to the doctor's records, I had a frail artery, and it just broke on its own. And so they go by what the doctor said. And so that was part of it, is that, you need to know what really happened so that you can fix what really happened. So getting to the bottom of what really happened, that was part of it. But I, um, they cut the ureter that goes from the kidney to the bladder. And so I came home with a nephrostomy bag out of my side, not knowing whether I would be able to keep my kidney because it doesn't matter if your kidney's good. If you don't have the plumbing there, you know, then you'd have to take out the kidney. So I came home with a nephrostomy bag. Um, and they said, oh, you know, we're not sure if we can fix it or not. And, um, it reminds me in Job of where they said, just curse God and die. And mm-hmm. one doctor said, oh, just take it out. Just, just have the kidney out. It won't, you know, you've got two kidneys. It won't matter. Just have it out. And I, my right leg, I had to go to therapy for two weeks. It, they didn't know if it would come back at all. When I first came out of surgery, I moved it with my arm. I couldn't you know, even move it at all. I think I was moving it, but it wouldn't move at all. Yeah, you had nerve damage there. Nerve damage there, yeah. And then I didn't have, um, so they cut through all the muscles in my abdomen. And they knew that I would have other surgeries. And so they left those muscles open. So they just put the skin shut. So for about two years, I wore a binder on the outside that just, um, you know, kind of holds everything together. They weren't sure if they'd be able to fix that. They thought that maybe I'd have to have that the rest of my life. But praise God, they were able to fix it. But But before we get to them fixing it, here you are coming home after a six-week routine procedure. You you have the bag. Your stomach literally... Is, is, is open. Open. When I'd, eat, when I'd eat something, which at first, you know, I couldn't eat anything. So I was on um, TPN in the hospital, and then I came home on kind of a liquid diet. And so I had malnutrition, so my hair started to fall out. And, uh, and me, in the meantime, I just really felt lousy, and nobody really knew why. 
I just really felt, and they said, oh, it's all you've been through, but I just had no energy at all. I could sleep literally for three days. I would get up and just, you know, go back to sleep. And they said, oh, it's all you've been through. Um, a couple years later, they found out that it was leaking. My intestines were leaking. Mm-hmm. And so they really don't know how I didn't die from it, from the infection. But I had this kind of ongoing infection. So I would be fine other than feeling, you know, incredibly tired. And I would just, in this half an hour, have 103 fever and be on the way to the hospital. Right. I'd be in the hospital for a week. How many times would you say in 2012 you went to the hospital? We tried to figure it up. I think I was in about 20 times. About 20 times. That's in, just in 2012? Mm-hmm. Just in one year, 20 times. How many days would that add up? I mean, do you... We've not added it up. It ranged from three days till nine days. I had a couple of bowel obstructions, mm-hmm. and so those would be, you know, like a week long. Right. So 2011, the typical procedure does not go typical. 2012 is an awful year. And, you know, and, and not getting into a lot of detail, you, you were working. Obviously, you can't work now in 2012. No, I didn't work... After 2011, um, and they were very patient for mm-hmm. me to come back. I worked at Wood County Hospital's respiratory therapist, so they were very patient. But, you know, inevitably they said, you know, you've just been off right. too long, so now you don't have a job to come back to. And at this time, Brian is working over in Indiana. Brian was working in Indiana. He had to stay there. Um, he'd stay there all week. He's working at Notre Dame College. So he would come back on the weekends. And he literally would get his phone call at night while, you know, mom's back in the hospital or yeah. while mom's, you know, not feeling so good today. Or, and he was at his wit's end because he wanted to be home so badly, but that's where his work was at. I remember going and visiting you one time and you had one of the bowel obstructions. And, you know, I've never gone through the bowel obstructions for people I've talked to. Obviously awful, just a, just a horrible pain. And I remember you telling me how, I don't know if you remember the story, the best part of your day was when you woke up. Do you remember telling me that? Because when you woke up for that brief moment... There was no pain. For that, just that split second when your eyes first pop open before you're really aware, you just feel okay. Nothing hurts. You're not, you really don't know where you're at, you know, when you first wake up. And so there's just that minute of everything's okay, I'm okay. And then all of a sudden the pain kicks in and you realize you're in the hospital. And Now, when did they do the first surgery to fix the stomach? Was that in 2012 or that was that 2013? The first surgery that they did was to fix the kidney. Kidney, okay. And so they went in and um, that was in 2013. 12. Mm-hmm. And that was successful. They were able to save the kidney. Um, but the procedure that they did was that they took, they take, so they tried stenting. And the, for insurance reasons, they have to try that and try that. And they said it won't work. We have to do it anyway. So they did all that. It didn't work. So that meant that the tubing had to be changed. Most people, the tubing should be like every three months, two, three months. For me, it was about three weeks. My body would just reject it. So thank God my dad was retired and he could take me. And so in the meantime, the tubing would start leaking, mm-hmm. and so they put me under, and it's supposed to be an hour procedure, and it'd be a four-hour-long procedure, and, and that was like every three weeks or every two weeks, depending on how my fevers were and if they thought, you know, I was leaking again. Yeah, you were really going through a phase of every few weeks, getting a fever, going back in the hospital, and for those that don't understand, you, you literally had a tube coming out your side mm-hmm. with a bag yep. that was working to collect uh, your urine. Yep. I mean, and that's, that's what was your life was, mm-hmm. and at this time... You don't know if you're ever going to work again. This is possibly the best it gets. Mm-hmm. And we're not exaggerating. Jody, you have to know Jody's sense of humor. She's okay with this. Your, your stomach is literally falling out. Yes. I mean, literally. You're, th- you don't understand. There was nothing there to keep your intestines in. No. Um, and you're not working, so things are difficult. No. It felt really wiggly when you'd eat food. <laughs> you remember what you told me? I probably can't say this. You said your years as a bikini model were done. Remember that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't scratch that too, Dustin. Um, <laughs> so when James would come up, 
you know, there were times it was really, really bad. And he'd kind of always say, we know it could be worse. It could be worse. And he got to where he'd say, no, I don't know if it could be any worse. I don't know. (laughs) I reached a point where I thought it was bad. But Jody, I'm going to get to that point. I'm going to save that point. So we go in for the first surgery to put the mesh in. And and this mesh literally, since she has no abdominal muscles, Mm -hmm. this mesh is literally what they're putting in to keep your stomach Mm -hmm. and your intestines from falling out. Um, Didn't work. So they put it in, and um, it was difficult getting it in. They had to take out some of the intestines because they were kind of just stuck together. You get adhesions whenever they mess around in your abdomen a whole lot. And so it was quite a surgery, quite a recovery. Got a bowel obstruction after the surgery which was horrible. I don't know if anybody's ever had a bowel obstruction, but it's terrible, terrible pain. And so then they put an NG tube down into your stomach. You can't eat anything. And basically, they suck the air out of your intestines, hoping it'll kind of reboot itself. And so, um, but God did through this, though, like that was a little miracle, because the one time I had a bowel obstruction, um, this NG tube is down your nose into your stomach. And so... um, and Job came to my mind, actually. And by no means, I am just, don't compare me with Job. <laughs> Job never sinned. I did. <laughs> there were times that I said, oh, my gosh, God, you know, what are you doing here? Seriously? I mean, this, you know, I question God. And, you know, am I going to live through this? And that was one thing, too, that I always had hope. I always knew um, that the worst that could happen is I would die. And if I died, that I'd go to heaven. I mm-hmm. knew that for sure, 100%. And so... But the one time I had the NG tube in, and it was terrible. And you know, you know what you, things you're going through when you see people come to, into your room to see you. And when they come in, they go, <gasps> and, you know, it's really bad then. Well, Richard and Betsy came up to see me one time when I had this NG tube in. And, and Richard came in the room, and I, didn't, I know he didn't mean to, but when he came in, he kind of looked at me like, oh, my gosh. You know, she looked, and I could tell by his tone of voice, I thought, yeah, I must really look really yeah. bad. So Richard doesn't have a poker face. I I, I tell Rich all the time, there is no filter between head and mouth with Rich. It's like, dude, you're you're a pastor. You can't say that, man. But it just it just flows right on out. I've collected real quick. I'm going to steal this for a second. When Richard dies, I can't wait to do his funeral because I've collected. (laughs) I've collected all these Richard isms that he has said. And if Richard and I spend a day together, I go home and I tell Dawn, you can't believe what Richard said today. And I've just kept track of all these. So when Richard dies, you want to make time for that funeral. That's going to be fun. <laughs> so, so the mesh, so, it goes in. It doesn't work, though. So let me tell a little miracle story, though. Yes. So, so we had this NG tube in, and it was sucking the life out of me. I knew it, I was going to die from this tube. And, you know, we had trouble with him getting the pressure right, and it was just sucking, sucking, sucking terribly. And I just, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm at the end of what I can do. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. This is it. One of the times that I said, you know, I'm ready to go. And uh, they said, you know, you're going to have to go to surgery. This bowel obstruction is not clearing. It's a high-grade obstruction. You're going to have to go to surgery in the morning. We're not sure what we're going to have to do. We may have to take out enough intestine that you're going to have a colostomy bag. You know, we won't know until we get in there. don't know for sure what we're going to have to do. And so I said, you know, Lord, I just prayed help. Help. And every scripture, I went back to every scripture I knew about trusting the Lord. And the Lord is good and does good. And he has a reason and purpose for all this. And so um, I was sitting there and I was just praying. And I just started praising the Lord. And I said, you know what, Lord, you've delivered me so far. I know you're going to. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just praising the Lord. And the, the first song we sang tonight, what was that song? Um, what was the first song, Nightmare? Yeah, yeah, that one. I sang that. I just started singing that over and over in my head just kept singing that song 
And I looked down, and that tube was out of my nose. And for any medical people, mm-hmm. that tube was perfectly clean, totally clean, and it was laying in a, in a little round circle there on the pillow in front of me. Now, there's no reason whatsoever that that should have, you know, it would be painful to pull it out. It would be, it wouldn't happen like that. And so I looked at that tube, and if that tube was out for two minutes, I would start to throw up. And so I looked at that tube, and, and I looked up at the clock, and I, a minute went by, and I felt okay. Like two minutes went by, and I felt okay, and I thought, well, I'm going to call the nurse. So I called the nurse, and I said, uh, my, my NG tube is out. And she said, so you pulled your NG tube out. And I said, no, it's out. It fell out. And she kind of paused for a minute like, oh, yeah, okay, fell out, fell out. So she came in, and she said, well, we're just going to put that back in. And I said, no, I'm not going to let you put it back in. And she said, well, you know you're supposed to go down for pre-surgery testing. They're supposed to do a scan to see, you know, where the blockage is at and everything like that. And I said, what if that scan showed that that blockage is gone? And she said, ma'am, you've been in here four days. It's not moved a bit. It's not going to be gone. You need the tube back in. And I said, you know, it's been at least six minutes now, and I haven't thrown up yet. Let's go down for the scan. I'm going to refuse the tube until we go down for the scan. Went down for the scan. Blockage was totally gone. I was out the next morning. Yeah. So there's no doubt. There's no doubt that was a miracle. Absolutely no, it was a miracle. You know, let's talk here for a second, because I can remember you having to go through this a couple of times. And the first time you had the blockage and used the word, your system had to reboot. Mm -hmm. And every time your system had to reboot, I remember you always having a little bit of of fear. Is it going to, is there going to be another blockage? Mm -hmm. In the midst of all this, how did you handle just the day in, day out fear of, is there going to be another infection? Is there going to be another blockage? I mean, how did you handle that spiritually? So I just took every scripture. So when I was really, really sick, um, I either couldn't read or I didn't feel like reading. So I just took every scripture that I had remembered from when I was a kid that I had memorized and would just say them back over and over. And if I was really, really bad and, you know, in the ER or whatever, honestly, there were times I would just say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over and over. Just the name. Just the name. In my head, mm-hmm. not even out loud. I couldn't even talk out loud because there was times that it just hurt so bad. And I would just focus on him and, and have him carry me and have him carry me through it. And whenever I started to worry, and there were times, and I would start to worry. Mm-hmm. And because I knew what was coming. You know, I knew if I had this pain, that meant this was wrong and I'd be back in the hospital again. And if I had, and so I just, I thought, you can't live like that. And what's the absolute worst that could happen to me? Well, I would die. And if I die, I know I'm going to heaven. So So what would you say to someone who is going through a difficult time and they call up the pastor, they call up a brother or sister in Christ, and they just give them a passage? You know, from experience, are you saying, is there a power in just the word and just quoting it and memorizing it and praying over it and just bringing it to mind? The best technology that we have is a smartphone because you can Google anything where you're at. Just tell that phone. Scripture on strength. Scripture on deliverance. Mm-hmm. Scripture on how God how God is good. There was one time um, when I was in the ICU and I was off the ventilator then, but I still couldn't even get out of bed. I couldn't even sit in a chair. And I was having a really, really bad night. And it wasn't time for the pain medication again. She said, no, you got two hours yet. And I was just feeling really, really bad. And I thought, Lord, I don't have one thing right now. And this is probably about day 14, probably day 14 into this. 
and I, it was the middle of the night, and Brian had gone home, and I knew I, you know, he was wore out. I couldn't call him. And I said, Lord, I don't have one thing right now. There's not one good thing mm. in my entire life right now, not anything. And that was day 14. And it was about day 14. And, and I said, um, you know, the devil does that to you. He tells you it's never going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. You're not going to make it through this. You're not strong enough. God's going to fail you. He tells you all those lies. And when you're in really bad physical pain, and he'll get you with whatever it is. You know, it could just be even your day-to-day circumstances. The devil knows what it takes. And I just thought, you know, Job, in the midst of that, he said, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh Mm -hmm. away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He praised the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I thought, you know what? I've got to think of one thing that I can praise God for. And so my room had a window. And it was going to be sunrise, not too too long. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be able to see that sunrise from my window. That's one thing on this earth that I can praise God for, is that that sun's going to come. I know the sun's going to come up, and I'm going to have a beautiful view. Now, I worked nights, so, you know, I either was just coming home or, or I didn't get to just sit and enjoy the sunrise. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I'm going to just lay here and get to enjoy this sunrise. So that was one thing that I could praise him for. And I know it sounds crazy, but that. And then I thought, okay, if I can praise him for that, what else can I praise him for? Well, I can see that sunrise. My eyes still work. There's nothing wrong with my eyes Mm -hmm. right now. And, you know, my mind is working because I can think to praise him. And before it was over with, things had totally changed. I still had the pain, but it was bearable because I was just praising the Lord and thought, oh, my gosh, you know, here I'm breathing. I'm off the ventilator. I have all these things. There's always something you can praise the Lord for. So the first mesh in 2012 did not work, and, and obviously we were all very optimistic it would. How long did it take before we realized it was not working? We thought that it worked, and we thought that everything was getting back to normal. However, I still felt just lousy. I had no energy. I would, at the drop of a hat, get 103 fever, be back in the hospital, and they said, well, this will be the rest of your life. This is as good as it gets. This will just be how you are. And I told Brian, I said, that I'm going to die. This mm-hmm. is going to kill me. They don't know it yet, but it's going to kill me. I can't live like this the rest of my life. And I would lay on the couch for three days at a time. I have no energy. I didn't eat. I, I just pretty much got up to go to the bathroom, and that was it. And they said, oh, it's just from all you've been through, you know, this is as good as your body's going to be. And so what had happened was that the mesh had rubbed a hole in my intestines. They didn't know that. And so I had a leak. And so my body was trying to keep this under control. And so it was just taken all the energy that I had. And to this day, they still can't understand why I didn't die from that, from get septic and die. And so uh, they still didn't know that I had this leak. And they thought I was all healed up by now. You know, everything they had put on, um, uh, everything was done. And I was sitting at my computer, and that was probably about three months, three or four months after the mesh had been put in and I had been pronounced, you know, all well. And I was sitting at my computer... And all of a sudden, about a three-inch strip popped open, and blood just started streaming everywhere on the floor. And so, you know, I called Brian, and Brian thought it was an artery right away because there was so much blood. And they said, oh, it's probably just a little pocket. And they put me in the hospital, and they said, by morning, you know, it'll stop bleeding. Well, by morning, it's still bleeding as much as it had been. So he said, well, now we need to do exploratory surgery. So they went in, and they said, oh, you've got this uh, 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 hole in your, oh, no, excuse me. Let me back up a little bit. So they put on a wound vac. That's what it was. They put on a wound vac after this um, had popped open. And 
they said, you know, this wound vac will help the wound to close and you'll be fine. They still didn't know about the whole intestine yet. Well, the wound vac actually sucked this pocket loose. And so this wound vac started sucking stool out of my abdomen. And thank God that it did. Otherwise, I would have died eventually of this pocket that was mm-hmm. getting increasingly larger. And they didn't know about it. And so then they said, well, that mesh is going to have to come out because now it's infected. If it gets any kind of bacteria or anything in it, it's infected. So now we don't know if we're going to be able to put mesh back in. You may just have to wear that binder the rest of your life. You won't be able to kind of bend over or, you know, pick up anything or, you know, and then you can get bowel obstructions, and this is, you know, as good as it's going to get. But they ended up doing the they surgery did. again. So they went and did the surgery again. This time they used a different mesh that is a pig-based mesh, and so your body grows into it, and then it goes away. And so they took out about 18 inches of intestine that had been rubbed through. And so that was a concern also because by now I had this colostomy bag. So at the beginning when you were afraid you were going to get a colostomy bag. I was always afraid that I would have a colostomy bag. I had had patients that had had them. And the patients that I had 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 other complications. But in my mind, their entire problem was that colostomy bag. In reality, it was not. They had other what we call comorbidities that were causing their problems. But in my mind, I had set myself up for at least I don't have a colostomy bag. I find it interesting. You know, we read here in Job 3, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. That's what I always dreaded the most because I thought, oh, Lord, how would I ever live with this colostomy bag? And so... Um, and be a bikini model, too. I mean, and that, be a bikini model. That's right. That was your goal, you said. And so they, they can do that Photoshop thing now, so I'm still not sure that I could actually <laughs> that. Is, that is still your passion. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Maybe back on the table. But, so... Um, there was one time that with the curse God and die thing. Um, so I always had a deadline. You know, we always had a plan going forward. I was always going to be well by this date. I was always going to be well by this date. And as long as I had that in sight, I could do it. As long as I knew, okay, we have until April or we have until May. So um, we were, I was supposed to be well. And my oldest son's graduation was coming up, and I was going to be the one that was doing the party. My mom had passed away. I was it. So I'm back in the hospital, and they say, okay, you're going to have this colostomy bag. You have to have it for at least three months. It could be up to six months. Then we'll go in and see if we can fix it. And so I decided right then that God had failed me. I was done. This had been a long journey, but, you know, thanks, but I'm, I'm done now. And I took my Bible, and I put it on my stand. I closed it up, and I said, that's it. I called the doctor. The doctor was in surgery, and he was going to go right home after surgery. And I said, tell him, tell him this. I'm on the seventh floor. I'm punching a hole in my uh, window. I'm jumping out, and he can see me on the news. So you tell him that he's coming here. I haven't eaten anything all day. I took myself off food and water so that that way I'd be ready for surgery because I decided I was going to have surgery the next day. So you tell him I haven't eaten now since morning. I'm ready for my surgery tomorrow. He can fix me, and we're going to be all done. So he came after surgery, and he, I had a very, very good doctor. And he came in, and he sat on my bed, and he said, What's up, Buttercup? I don't understand here. We've gone this long road so far. What's, what's the deal now? And I said, I'm done. I've had it. It's over. Um, I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to read the Bible anymore. I'm done. I've had it. And he God said, failed you. He, God has failed me. We had a road we were on, and he took a detour somewhere and left me, and I'm done. And so he said, well, you know, that's your own personal decision, but I can tell you that um, the road is not done. You're not going to die from this. His father had had a colostomy bag. His father had had cancer. 
And he said, my father, too, and he said, I don't tell many people this, but my father, too, had one, and he thought it was the end of the world, but it wasn't, and he lived on many more years. So if it winds up you have to have this rest of your life, you're still going to have a life, you have kids, you're going to see them, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to see grandkids, even. And so right then, um, so he walked out, and I said, okay, God, nice try. Thanks for the encouragement, but I'm done with you. I'm still done with you. Right then, the um, housekeeper walked in, and she was humming Amazing Grace. So I said, oh, yeah, I see what you're trying to do there, but no, it didn't work. It didn't work. So she starts talking to me about these kids that she adopted and what a blessing they were and what a terrible life they had and all this and how God has provided for her and her family, this really encouraging story of how she's trusted God and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, nice try, God didn't work. So she walked out, and just then Richard Betts called and said, hey, you know, I was praying and the Lord really put me on your, uh, put you on my heart. How are you doing? Now, like two days, I had told him, like two days before, oh, they're going to do surgery and they're going to fix this because I had decided. So I told Richard, I said, have a bad day, Richard. I said, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to fix this. And he said, well, you know, well, let me give you some scripture. And I said, no, that's okay. I'm good. No, no, let me give you some scripture. You're the Lord's your strength and he's your encouragement. You know, it's going to be okay. I said, okay, whatever, God. Thank you, but no thank you. Just then, Lynette Taylor texted me on my phone, scripture. So she's a praying mom, and we were moms prayer together. And she said, I wanted to give you some scripture to encourage you. And it was scripture about peace. God will give you peace, mm-hmm. and he'll give you strength, and he'll take you through this. And I said, God, that was a really good try, because you know I like Lynette really well. But no, I don't care what she had to say. It doesn't matter. And so I thought there, and I contemplated, and I thought, okay, so this is new territory for me. I'm going to go forward without God. So... What hope do I have? Because I know if I don't do this with God, what eternal hope do I have? You know, my thought had always been if I die, at least I know I'm going to heaven. You know, that's the worst thing that could happen is that I would die, but I go to heaven. So if I don't have that reassurance, if I die, I don't go to heaven. So, you know, I, I, I thought about it. What am I going to do without God? And before you know it, I was repenting and I was crying and <laughs> praising God again and back in the scripture and I had drawn a line and I had said God I can always follow you if I know there's a deadline if I know there's a a way out if you know and so he wanted me to say no you can follow me period would you say that was your darkest time I would say that that was probably the dark one of the darkest times probably the darkest time so they go ahead and they do the surgery again for the second mesh they did so I managed to have this colostomy bag which was not as bad as I had set myself up to be it was not the horrible, life-killing thing that I thought it would be. So I had this bag for about four or five months. Um, they went in, and they did the other surgery, took out some intestines, put in the uh, new mesh, and um, cleaned everything out in, in there. And that was pretty much pretty much the end of the road. And you've never had to go back to the hospital since? No. Because no. wasn't, wasn't it this year, earlier this yeah, year, that you had popped up? So these infections... From the procedure they did on the bladder, I can periodically get, if I get a kidney infection, it's just like an instant, terrible, big deal kidney infection. And all this is from a routine. From a routine. Uh, It was after that surgery with you that Richard and I started saying there's no such thing as a routine. There is no routine. um, Procedure. And, you know, and we can go, too, about in the dark times, too, didn't know if you were ever going to work again. I can remember you and I talking about, you know, what can you do physically? And God has blessed you. Mm-hmm. You know, with a great job, and you know, God has brought that around, and like I said, for the most part, fairly healthy now. 
for the most part. But if I have something that's left over, I say that's God reminding me I still have so much to be thankful for. Yeah. I could not be up here. You know, my mind could not be functioning very extremely easily. I could have had a massive stroke and mm-hmm. just, you know, been a, there's a hundred things that could have happened that didn't, that God, right. God protected me from. And, and one of the, real quick, just wondering, have you ever counted up how many surgeries you've had? I had five major surgeries. But if you count, like, procedures where they would put me to sleep, yeah. it'd be, like, four hours long. I don't know if you count those or not. So I've had five major surgeries, but then the procedures. The numerous procedures. Yeah, I had numerous procedures. And, and literally countless days in the hospital, trips up to Toledo. The hardest part was you never knew how to plan. You know, literally, Brian would get a call that, oh, it's not that big a deal. She'll only be in three days. Or then he'd get a call, well, you know, this is really bad, and she's going right to surgery, and, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And it was, uh, but I stopped. I, it, when this all started, I was looking for the way out. The first thing I would do is look for the way out. Lord, what's the quickest way out of this? And by the end, I said, okay, Lord, it's not a mystery to you that I'm here. You have a plan and a purpose for this. So while I'm going through it, teach me, help me to learn the lesson quickly. Mm. because there's something in this here you want me to learn. So help me to learn that lesson quickly. And it's not always about us either. It's sometimes something else. You know, we're going through something so that we can minister to somebody else. And, you know, I hope you don't mind me bringing that up. But one of the lessons you learned very early was, and if you want to touch on this, we've got a couple of minutes here, was also forgiveness. It was. So this person that did my surgery has a different, has a, what they write in the record, what they write in the medical record, is if it can be um, feasible, what they write in the medical record, then that's not questioned. Um, In the state of Ohio, so when this all happened, I thought, okay, I'm not going to be able to work again, but it'll be okay, though, because I'm going to sue, and I'm going to have a lawsuit, and I'm going to be able not to work, you know, if I can't work. And so um, whatever the doctor says happened in the medical record, unless it is completely bogus to where that's not something that ever could really happen, it's not questioned. There's nothing you can do about it. So in the medical record, it says that I had this fragile artery, just one, just that one, and that when a clamp was applied to it, that the artery just frayed on its own and shredded. And so immediately it was clamped again, but with my anatomy, it just shredded again and frayed and went away. So anything that happened after that, the cut ureter, the damage to the leg, you know, the internal damage from all the cutting, that's all explained away because it was my own anatomy that caused it. So that was the fact, the lies, one thing, and the incompetence that occurred. It was really hard for me to get over. Yeah, I mean, it was really hard. I mean, in the midst of you really recovering, I can remember having a lot of conversations with you where, just being honest, there's a lot of anger. There was a lot of anger. Like if I could have gotten a certain person on the middle of the highway, I would have rented a semi. Right. We're, we're, Dustin, scratch that too. Yes. Yeah, um, and I'm not in my right mind, so none of this. Is yeah, that's right. That's court, right. So. <laughs> no, no one listens to these, anyways. We got, we, we make copies. No one takes them. Don't worry about it. So. And my name is Felicia. Yeah, Felicia. <laughs> this is Felicia speaking here. That's right. But, but I went from, so that eats you alive. That anger, that hate. Because then you have those anger fantasies. Yeah. Like, what if I could find her in Walmart and just run into her with my car? Or what if I could, you know, you have all these, you start thinking. And that just eats you up. 
And, and, and it so, did. And for a season, it really does. did. It, it was, it was it your does. focus. Yep, it does. And But you know... But then I can also remember when the forgiveness happened. God has a plan and a purpose, and he allowed it to happen. Yeah. He had a reason for it, and he didn't maybe cause it, but he allowed it to happen. And so the Bible says that God, been paraphrasing, God is good and does good. Mm-hmm. So he knew that this was going to happen to me. This wasn't a mystery to him, and he allowed it to happen anyway. So if she, if she and, you know, the devil, and um, God used Pharaoh and hardened Pharaoh's heart. So if he did that, then he used this doctor, you know, he, he let this happen. So if it was part of God's plan, how could I be upset? And so wow. today, today, now this is by the grace of God, and this didn't happen overnight, but today if she was broke down alongside the road, I'd stop and help her. I really right. would. Amen. And like you said, you said a great point there. If this was part of God's plan, how could I get upset? Yep. And that's a lot of maturity there. And I just want to say this as we, get, as we close here. You mentioned how many times the idea of worship in Scripture and that's something we've talked a lot about out here, that in the midst of darkness, that time of worship. And it seems that is so foreign. Why would I be worshiping God in the midst of the worst time of my life? Totally takes your eyes off yourself and your circumstances, Amen. and it even helps your pain. It does. And Scripture doesn't return void, does it? Nope, it never Amen. does. And then um, I would have Scriptures that I would remember part of them, but I couldn't think of them. And so when I'd get home, I'd write them down. So when I went home, I could look them up and look up the whole verse. Amen. And that was just what I needed in. And you said something about if the Lord tells you to send a card or do something like that. I can't. Rose sent cards to me. And there were days that I was laying on the couch and I felt like death. And I'd get that card from Rose and there'd be scripture inside. Mm-hmm. And that might have been the only scripture I got that morning. Mm. And she has no idea how wonderful and how encouraging that scripture was to me. And I chewed on that scripture. And so God told you to send me that particular scripture. And so just those little things or a call or a phone call. Hey, I'm praying for you when they really mean it. Don't just tell somebody you're going to pray for them. Really right. pray for them when you do. And that really makes a big difference. Last thing, the Jody that we're talking to now in 2015 compared to four years ago, would you say you're stronger in your walk and your faith? Oh, absolutely. Would you say your marriage is stronger through all this too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The totally different. Um, you can either be better or bitter. And if you go the anger route and non-forgiveness, it's going to break you apart. It's going to break your marriage apart. It's going to break you apart personally. Amen. If you if you look to the Lord and and search the scriptures, the whole experience, I guarantee you, you'll never come out the same. Amen. Never. Well, hey, thanks for being willing to come up and just kind of share a little bit on um, what the Lord's done in the last four years. So I appreciate that with no notice. So the joke is that we were always adding chapters to yes. the book. Eventually, I'm going to write. So whenever anything would happen, I'd call James, and I'd say, hey, got another chapter. Got another chapter. So this is the end. This is, the don't end. say, no. This interview no, no. is the end. Don't, don't, don't say that. So I'm just kidding. Faye, thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, let's pray here. Heavenly Father, just help us in the midst of Job moments to, boy, I just like the simplicity of that, the worship in the scripture, Lord. Keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on you. And if there's someone here tonight or going to be listening to this online or in a CD that is going through that dark time, encourage them, uplift them as only you can. And we lift this up in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, it's after 8 o'clock, so we're not going to uh, have a time of prayer here after church because I know you got kids back there and people got to get going. If you have something you do need to pray about, come grab me, Renee, or Rich. We'd love to pray with you. But you guys have a good week. God bless, and we'll catch you next Wednesday then.